It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. Let's get right into it. So I wouldn't say it was necessarily an eventful weekend um, in terms of things changing and, and how we see college football possibly progressing in the fall. But I think it was important in that we heard some pretty loud voices from both the parents of Ohio State athletes and Ohio State athletes and of themselves. So we're going to get into that in a second. I do want to talk about something that just happened within the last hour of us uh, recording, um, which is the SEC released their conference schedule. It, it kind of feels like that's the maybe that's the, uh, you know, the cocky, uh, you know, pride goeth before a fall kind of move. Um, so I don't congrats to the SEC, I guess. Maybe maybe they're winning the messaging war among college football fans. How optimistic are you that that will those games are actually going to get played? Well, so keep in mind that the social media imagery of the weekend was students back on campus in Tuscaloosa partying like it's 1999. Uh, you you were seeing uh, University of Alabama football players tweeting about the bar scene and yeah. uh, you know maybe uh, trying to get out ahead of the message that. Uh, if if things get shut down, it's not the players' fault. It's not the football program's fault, right? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the big news, of course, Monday was that the University of North Carolina, one week after opening up uh, its campus to students, is then going to all digital learning because their cases spiked. Uh, as oh, by the way, you might have seen coming. Um, right. So all that in context. No, I really still do not believe we will have FBS-level college football this fall. I, I just don't see it happening. I think what will happen is that, you know, you, you've seen some rumblings that maybe the Big 12 all is not peachy keen. Uh, Oklahoma's running back, <laughs> you know, uh, not Trey Sermon, you know, the one that, that uh, Ohio yeah, State didn't, to pick up on the, didn't pick up on the transfer wire, you know, is, is <laughs> opting out. You know, you had stories that um, I saw one piece that Syracuse players were were not practicing because they don't think the season will happen anyway in the ACC. And then, like I say, you know, I, I think what will happen is the SEC will be the last one to actually own up and cancel. And and their logic will be, well, everybody else canceled. So, you right. know, we don't have much choice because cool. it'll just be the SEC championship. Here's the thing, though, and, and I'm going to say this, and I don't I, – first of all – you know, I've said this in other places and I've said this on the site as well, but like, if you're going to have students back on campus, I, I understand why somebody would say that's incredibly hypocritical to then say that you can't have football. Like to me, it's, it's, it's either both or none. You can't have, you know, a situation where you're putting hundreds of people, hundreds of students in dorms in close quarters and then say, well, <laughs> football, that's a little too, I don't know about that. Because obviously, as you just pointed out, UNC, it's clearly not working out. Um, I just, I can see why people would be frustrated with that. And I can really see why players would be frustrated by that as well, because that to me is just absurd. With that said, because of what you're seeing at UNC and because of what players and, and other people in Tuscaloosa and, you know, and wherever, you know, all these other places in the Big 12, like, you know, the people are just taking cell phone pictures and, and uh, yeah, at Auburn and all that. My point is, is that the people who are really, 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 really wanting this to happen on campus are, in fact, I think, assuring that it might not happen. And my point is, my other point, I guess, with all of this is that I'm, I'm kind of surprised that 
the conferences didn't basically do what the SEC and the Big 12 and ACC are doing, which is not in the sense that you're bringing students back, because a lot of them are doing that across the country, but more in the sense that they're just going to punt and say, all right, well, here's our schedule. Here's what we're going to get. In an ideal world, we want football to happen uh, as long as we can meet certain metrics. I'm surprised the Big Ten got so far ahead out on that and said, nope, it's over, we're shutting it down, we're done, as opposed to just basically saying, if we can get to this point, which, parenthetical, we know we're not going to, but if we can get to this point, then we can have football. And so the SEC may end up making the exact same decision that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have made, right? But they're going to come out looking a lot better on the PR war because they're going to say, well, we tried our best and just, damn it, we just couldn't get it done. And I'm I'm, I'm surprised that the Big Ten didn't move towards that type of direction, Um, even though I think we all know what the end result's going to be. But if you look at the the overall arc of this story, Big Big Jim Delaney was like the power broker. Uh, you know, he, he was the big Don data, the, the, the Don yeah. of Don's because he looked at ESPN and called their bluff and went out and got Fox to build the big 10 network. And then yeah. the big 10 became the richest college football conference. Now you can say yep. what you will about the on-field product and give the sec it's due for producing a consistently exceptional on-field product at the top end of that conference. We We, we won't say anything about the perennial basement dwellers in that conference, but, but by and large, okay, I'll give the devil its due on the quality of football played in the deep South, but you got to give Jim Delaney credit for making the big 10, the power when it comes to money in college football. Now, yeah. fast forward, this his immediate successor. Kevin Warren has come up like, come off like an ineffectual schmo in his handling of the situation. You roll out a precipitous decision that will have calamitous economic realities for your member institutions. You provide next to no reasonable rationale for it, even though we all know the rationale for it. You, you sure. do a an abysmal job of articulating your case, and then you basically go turtle mode and hide from the world for now seven days and counting yeah. with nary a question answered as to, well, what the hell do we do now? Yeah, he had, uh, a, he had a terrible interview on the Big Ten Network when this You're all on came state out. media. You are on the TV right. network that you co-own with your number one broadcast partner. Right. Getting lobbed, you know, softballs on your home field. And you can't, you, uh, the PR department of the Big Ten should either all like resign in disgrace for how poorly Warren handled that. Or, or, you know, if I'm one of the power brokers of the Big Ten, like I'm calling no confidence on Warren for just how poorly, even even if it was the president's unanimous decision, yeah, their figurehead has made a muck up of it, start to finish. Yeah, I mean you've got to get your messaging on point, and he absolutely did not do that. And there are some legitimate questions regarding, you know, what are the plans going forward? What does it look like if you want spring ball? You know, and some this is even brought up when he did the Big Ten interview. You know, you've got a son at Mississippi State. Who's oh gonna, my God, that's you know, that's be, insane. Yeah, that's that's a legit question to be asking that dude, and for him to have basically no answer for it is is just ridiculous. And to me, like. Again, people are frustrated by this and and look at the Big Ten and saying, you guys just don't know what you're doing. I can't believe you screwed this up so badly. Even if you really, really don't care about COVID, you don't think it's that big of a deal. I'm still on your side in the sense that I understand how like 
somebody could look at this and say that's a completely ridiculous way to plan and go about it because they had months, months. to prepare for this months and they did nothing yeah, so and, and i, I want to tell you you know the the fact that they are all out there here here's the other thing you look at the pac 12 and prior to this season we would have said the pac 12 probably without even thinking about it was the most dysfunctional of the power five conferences uh, larry scott couldn't figure out how to get a reasonable tv deal done um yeah. just it, it, nobody cares about the pac 12 their ratings are pretty you know and and it just it, it's we all kind of would look like yep they're the they're the um the fifth out of five conferences nobody cares well now you look pac 12 did exactly the same thing the big 10 did uh, and if you look at the messaging out of that conference, everybody's on the same page. You don't right. have individual coaches at Big 12 schools out there on ESPN saying we should be playing. You don't have athletic directors at Pac-12 schools publicly telling their press scrums that we should be playing. In the Big 10, you've got everybody but Northwestern and Rutgers out there like saying this is the dumbest thing we've ever done or <laughs> we should have delayed. Or I mean, you had Penn State's AD on Monday basically – yeah, washing, washing your hands of the situation. You're like, nope, that, that, not, not me. I don't know what you're you talking know, about. So the, the amount of dissension that is just playing out dirty laundry, uh, you know, in, in the social media and popular press, it's, it's not good times in the Big Ten. And that's, that's where I come back to. That's everything. I know I've said this weekly on this podcast since this debacle started. And I'll say it again. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And and right now there is apparently a dearth of it at the Big Ten conference, and it's embarrassing. Yeah. Frankly, it is embarrassing. It is embarrassing, and it's unfortunate, especially when you have a situation like this that is so like serious and severe, and not just from a public health standpoint. But you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, the futures of a lot of these kids. It's just it really has been really poorly handled, and that's why over the weekend, and not just the weekend, but really you know since this was announced, but you've got such an uproar, not among fans only, but also parents of players, players themselves. Uh, there was a letter that was sent out um, with the uh, Football Parents Association group um, over the weekend to uh, Kevin Warren. Lots of other you know, universities in the Big Ten had their parent groups send similar letters, Michigan, you know, Iowa, all these other schools. Um, and then, of course, you had uh, Justin Fields starting a petition on moveon.org uh, where he basically kind of echoed a lot of the things that were said in the parent letter, right? Where he's saying, you know, we want to play. We believe that safety protocols have been established and can be maintained to mitigate the concerns of exposure to COVID-19. We believe that we should have the right to make decisions about what is best for our health and our future. Don't let our hard work and sacrifice be in vain. Hashtag let us play. Look, I don't necessarily agree with the idea that you know these choices to play during a pandemic exist in a vacuum like if you get infected that doesn't just infect or uh, affect you you can go on and infect many other people it's not a choice you can just make for yourself but by that same token i can absolutely understand that viewpoint where somebody says look we have safety protocols we're personally following them this is something that's really important for our future. If you're at Ohio State, you probably believe that you have a chance to go on and make millions of dollars in the NFL. That could torpedo that prospect. Um, I can understand why Justin Fields would put that out there. Also, by the way, to your point earlier, uh, with the full-throated support of both his coaches and athletic director and Gene Smith, as of now, there's well over 250,000 signatures on this thing, which is pretty wild. Um, 
I don't know. I, I'm not, I think maybe if this were 10 years ago, um, or maybe if Jim Trestle were the coach, I would have been really surprised by this. I don't think I'm super surprised by Justin Fields doing something like this right now. This to me actually feels like a natural evolution of how football players have been communicating their wants and needs over the and, past three or four years. And a natural evolution, I think, of how programs like Ohio State are are handling the we'll, we'll just say the the social activism in general. We don't have to limit it to uh, you know we've seen it with say the BLM. Um, sure. marches and, and, and support, uh, you know, moving toward uh, this, this kind of players united messages that we saw in recent weeks from the different conferences. Uh, Ohio State is, I think, leading the charge and to their, you know, to their credit, Ohio State is leading the charge on not only supporting, but maybe encouraging their players to use their voice. Now, you know, there's a cynical part of me that says, well, you know, that's, that's just uh, the price of doing business today that these Oh, of course, uh, athletes yeah. are more engaged, involved, and recognize that they have a certain amount of cachet, and they're going to use it. And so, you know, the savvy programs will say, "We're going to be the anti-Iowa, <laughs> and we're going to take you and do the opposite of the current parents' approach. We're going to limit you to one social justice statement to the public per pre- month. Pre-approved, That's pre-approved, pre-approved. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's got to be pre-approved. So, only about if, corn subsidies. That's all you get. Today's recruits you know, care about these things and evidence suggests that they do, or at least want to believe that their school will have their back if they do care about something strongly enough to, to take a platform, you know, so you could be cynical about it that way, but, but let's back sure. up and just say to Ohio state's credit, they're supporting and maybe encouraging their student athletes to, to use their voice and, and uh, it credit again to the program for a selecting men of character and, and uh, recruiting men of character who are using their platforms, uh, I think appropriately are, are doing it positively, um, you know, a credit to their parents and their schools and the whole nine yards. Like it, the, the players who have in recent months used that platform, whether it be on this topic in Justin Fields or, or the previous examples mentioned, you know, they're doing it well, right. They're, yeah. they're, I think a credit to the institution and the program, but yeah, Justin Fields goes out and gets a quarter million dollar, quarter million dollars. Ha ha. <laughs> uh, Freud, Freudian slip there because he's going to go get a lot more than a quarter million dollars and uh, right in the NFL. You know, <laughs> this time next year. Um, but goes out and get a quarter million signatures on a petition. You and I, I think, probably both agree this will do mm, just this much more than diddly squat to change the reality of playing football this fall. Yeah. But, but again, it comes back to the overall discussion about how poorly this thing's handled that the face of. Ohio State's football team and arguably the most recognizable quarterback in the conference, if not one of the two or three most recognizable quarterbacks in the country, is getting this kind of traction, in essence, taking on his conference. Yeah, well, here's here's what I'll say. While I do agree with you that I don't think this will necessarily change the outcome of football in 2020, I do think it reframes the conversation. I do think it forces a guy like Kevin Warren and other people to take notice and say, okay, well, maybe we should include players in this conversation a little bit more. Maybe we should have parents more involved because one of the things that the player, or excuse me, the parents letter included was, you know, we want seniors and other people to be able to talk directly with the people making these decisions. And I think that's fair. I think, I think that's a completely legitimate request. And 
I wouldn't be surprised if they got something like that. Now, again, because of the the status of COVID and, and because you're going to have all these kids come back on campus and probably you're going to see a lot of uh, UNCs out there, a lot of similar situations. I don't know that it necessarily changes the overall outcome, but I, I do think it changes how the narrative is done. It's just interesting to me because, you know, people in these programs are super, super, super supportive of players using their voice and saying, we want to play and we want this. Uh, and fans are super supportive. I just am curious about where the limit of that is because if players come back next year and say, thank you so much for supporting us. We're glad to be back. Also, we want to get paid or we want control of our likeness. Like I'm curious to see how much support they'll continue to receive from these colleges and universities um, when they ask for something that isn't directly in the interest also of those colleges and universities and coaches and athletic departments. Yeah. Um, And you know, reality being that, we all, we all, I think, try to bend these things to our particular set of biases and sure. uh, desires and likes and wishes. You know, whether it's players are now liar or fans, rather, are now like, listen to the players, listen to the players, and in six months, it's going to be stick to st- stick to sports all over again. You know, kind of, yeah. kind of deal. Like we'll we'll be able. To, same same thing with the programs. I think you know, there's a case to be made that the two conferences who most quickly canceled their seasons were the two conferences where you had open, uh, you know, unionization is not the right word, but, but, but open calls for, um, you know, association of the players, you know, players That's using their voice. So That's Pac-12, an excellent point. You know, their list of demands that we kind of chuckled about. And I said, you know, they're a non-starter. Hey, guess what? Pac-12 didn't have to think too hard about canceling the season. That's Same very thing true. with the Big Ten. You know, the Big Ten, you have the, the Players United letter coming out. Um, and, you know, not too many days later, Big Ten's folding up his tent and saying, sorry, no football. Now, you have a lawyer in charge of the Big Ten. So there's, you know, this is largely a lawyerly decision. It feels like liability and uncertainty. And they mm-hmm. don't want to go down the, the the route of the Bannon case again and, uh, right. you know, be, be held liable for whatever might happen to players who actually play and God forbid get uh, infected with COVID this season and have adverse health effects like the one Indiana uh, offensive lineman we talked about. And I'm sure there are other stories like that where athletes have been affected by COVID because you look at the comorbidities, right. And the other risk factors, uh, you know, obesity uh, plays a role. Well, how many college football players are past their recommended weight for height allowance um most of them and yeah. then you know likewise all, yeah. yeah right right and and so other other things being what they are these guys are, are going to be at risk and as you have made the point more than once it's also about other people associated with the program that that could also be affected not just the players but the other people they come into contact with but i do think there's a case to be made that the two conferences where you were starting to see the most open kind of unity and association and organization among players were the that pulled the pin on the grenade the quickest. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think a really important point and maybe one to kind of revisit, you know, when all this is kind of settled. Um, One thing I want to do real quick. So I I was going through, I was weekend editor last weekend. And so I was posting stuff about, you know, the petition and the letters and all that. Uh, One of the things that I did is I went through the comments of the petition and because at the bottom there, it asks you, you know, what is your reason for signing? Why do you want to do this? 
And I found some arguments that I thought were definitely worthy of discussion and consideration. I found some other arguments that were uh, maybe not quite as worthy uh, of discussion <laughs> and consideration, but still worth revisiting because they made me laugh. So here's what I want to do. I want to I want to read off some of these comments, some of these reasons, and then we can just have a very quick back and forth about each of these um, and just kind of see what our take is on them. So this first one here uh, says their reason for signing. Justin Fields' petition is that, quote, the players deserve to get a chance to play this season that they've worked so hard towards. If it gets canceled halfway through, so be it, but at least they deserve to try. Um, I personally, look, I understand that perspective. Um, I And I appreciate it, frankly, because I, I hate the idea that, okay, well, if we get started with the season, then we just kind of, we got to finish it out, right? I mean, no matter yeah. what else happens, we already got started, so it'd be silly to stop. I appreciate that this person... Uh, at least acknowledge that, yeah, there's a, there's a chance situation might change. And I can also understand why, you know, you don't want to take something that somebody might have worked basically their entire lives towards um, and, and maybe not give them a chance to, to complete. So I, I get that perspective. Um, it's just going to be really, really hard to start something like a college football season, knowing, especially if you see the situation on the ground and, and, you know, COVID, you know, cases explode or something like that. So you're really hard to start something that you're going to have to cancel a week later. Yeah. Um, that would be devastating. I think for teams, players, everything. I think that would actually be worse in a lot of cases than not having the season period. Uh, I, th- I think so the I don't difference... know. I, I get the sentiment though. I understand the sentiment. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm on board with that. You know, there's a school of thought that says, if you know, it's not going to happen then you know better to fess up to that early so yeah. that way you don't get your hopes up and so on and you can start making plans and you know g- kind of okay then what next which unfortunately as we just discussed <laughs> we're a weekend and there is no discussion of what next apparently at this right. stage uh but 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 back to the issue you know i'm i was probably in the camp that said they delay as long as necessary um because maybe then you can better articulate the rationale for canceling so if, say, for example, the ACC pulls the plug now, they can point to North Carolina and be like, well, look what happened. You know, we went back to campus and my God, they had to close it down a week later because the place blew up. So, you right. know, for the Big Ten universities, you, you know, you didn't have that data point aside from looking at states like Ohio or whatnot, where you were back up over a thousand cases a day and mm-hmm. some of those kind of things. But but if you can have sort of a smoking gun then then it makes a big difference. So you could have done that, you know, where you start playing those games and after your first one or two games and, oh gosh, you know, uh, a, a player tested positive and we had to quarantine the entire offensive line or whatever it happens to be, then you could go and say, well, you know, we tried. You could do the SEC route and say, well, we tried. We right. care about football, unlike you other schlubs. And, <laughs> and maybe fans would have taken that better you know, if they'd been able to point to look at the disease raging through a a locker room. But, but in reality, I mean, there's a reason we don't test certain things on live subjects, right? Because, or you, you don't do, um, you, you have to do observational studies instead of controlled gold standard type studies. If, you know, if there's the potential that you can do harm, you know, there's some, uh, you know, things where you like players into guinea pigs just to satisfy, you know, the, the, the desire to at least try for a season. Yep. Yeah, but I, but I, but I mean, I, I, I'm like you. I appreciate the sentiment in it. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to. I sure would have liked. And, and there was a part of me that thought that's the route that we would go: is that you would see, um, 
you would well, see the I season mean, start and then yeah, and it leaves the possibility that things could get better too i mean it's it, i don't want to be completely fatalistic here there is a chance that this does get better and does turn around so I'm you're not saying there's optimistic. a chance yeah but that's what i'm saying like i don't know why I, I don't i don't know i mean maybe you stop all teams from practicing or something like that but in, mm-hmm. in lieu of that i mean you're still essentially going to keep everything status quo I don't know. To me, like I said, this goes back to having people on campus in general. And uh, to me, it seems absurd that you'd be like, okay, one's acceptable, the other's not. But that's. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I want to go back to that for a second because I, I, I glossed over that. Here's the other thing, you know, that's really, I think people maybe don't understand or aren't paying enough attention to because we're so focused on football. Mm-hmm. But universities in general, like, this is a pretty dark timeline. Oh yeah, for the American university system, and and you could say, well, you know, this was an avoidable bubble, and that may be true. And when you could, you know, spend days on the policy reasons why um, they're in this situation that they're in, uh, the, the, they being just the universities in general, uh, you could look and say, well, my God, look at the number of bajillion dollar buildings that we've built on campus at Ohio State just in the twenty years since I first walked on campus as an undergraduate you could you could look at and say my gosh you know how many uh junior assistant associate deans do we need in every single college and and um you can do that by the way for the athletic department as well you know how many uh assistant senior executive athletic directors should there be on a staff uh well you have a 200 million dollar budget you know (laughs) so that's that's something to think about you know so these universities had to get students back on campus because that's what pays the bills, right? That's what pays right. the bills. And so the economic incentives and doing the right thing were way out of line this this fall because the economic incentives were, we got to get people back in a classroom paying tuition bills. Yep. Um, and, in, and, and in the dorms and paying for their, you know, their meal plan. Room and board, meal plan, right. the whole the whole ecosystem, the whole ecosystem. Right. And, and not just that, but these college towns, right? So if you... If you own a business in a college town, if you are, um, you know, Hound Dogs uh, Pizza, I don't, I don't know what are the what are the Hound Pizza Joints on Hound Dogs still <laughs> there? Like, I'm trying to go through. I heard Catfish Biffs Biffs went out of business, which you know, yeah. like poor one out for my homie. So not that that was related to this. Maybe it was. I don't know. But those well, whole of, that whole college town ecosystem. Yeah, some of those businesses are saying they make better part of like half their revenue on on football weekends. So yeah. I mean, that's. It, all of it is understandable. It's just something that I think, you know, has to all be considered as part of the argument. Yeah, and it's um, very interesting that that in the case of Ohio State being an example, because there were some not great pictures out of Ohio State over the weekend of sure. students, you know, standing out in multi-hour long lines to get tested for COVID. You know, on one hand, we're canceling football as a Big Ten conference because it's not safe, but we're dragging students back to campus. Right? Does not compute. Does not compute. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. with you. It's it needed to be one all in or all out one or the other. Yeah. Uh, next, next uh, reason for signing says, quote, cause a big 10 team ain't going to win no title anyways. Might as well let them play. Uh, I take I take objection to that. Ohio state was going to have a damn good team this season. Yeah. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. I think they had a pretty darn good chance of winning a national title. So maybe nobody else, but I think Ohio state did. So I mean, I can understand the frustration from Ohio State fans. Ohio State was going to be ranked what number two, probably in the yeah. AP Top Twenty Five, the, the the first poll of the season. And Clemson I mean, was losing 
ever like they were losing almost all their offensive line, their best defensive player. They were they were vulnerable. I know Trevor Lawrence is back. I don't give a crap. They were vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of ink spilled about the missed opportunity for 2020 for Ohio State because there it was. I think a really good team was coming back. Totally, totally um, agree. Team, team, yeah. of, team of destiny, maybe, maybe not, but a team that was absolutely going to be in the playoff with a oh, shot at a national title. So. No question. No question. I think so. Uh, next reason for signing quote, uh, big 10 and pac 12 are run by puds, which I, <laughs> I at least half agree. I don't know. I don't know that I can give too much information about the pac 12 right now. I, I mean, I think I made my case already in this episode. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, this next one's something we kind of touched on this quote, canceling football is not for the safety of players. It's for their own agenda. Canceling sends students back home to drugs, abuse, the streets, et cetera. You're stripping away many uh, from their opportunities to make it in life. Here, here's what I'll say about that. Yes, a lot of players do come from bad, difficult, disadvantaged backgrounds. I don't know that too many people care too much about that during the summer. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know that that's an argument people are making in the off season during football, where they're like, "Oh, we got to take care of these kids." Like, I, to me, that kind of smacks of like, "This is what you're here for." You know, <laughs> here we are now. Entertain us. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know if people are going to take that argument. I, I think you're going to have to kind of live up to that the entire year round and, and have that same concern for them. in you know, February, March, June, July, et cetera, May, you know, when they're, when they're not on campus and they're not with the program. And I don't see that too often, unfortunately, maybe, maybe from the person who made this comment, maybe they do, but in general, I don't see that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and you know, I think one of the things we got to be careful about too is we make we make a lot of broad brush kind of sweeping generalizations about football players. Well, like, you know, these kids all come from broken home inner cities, you know, they're they're sure. they're, they're, they're yeah, they're one they're one that. roster away from being, you know, drug dealers, pimps and hustlers. I'm like, no, come on. Like they're everybody on the team comes from a different background, different story. Yes. So I don't think you can make it something. Now I do think I did see some interesting comments from players uh, who made the observation that, Hey, we had these protocols in place. We were probably a lot safer in, in the team control, so to speak, you know, like we were probably safer on the clock uh, than we would be going back home or, uh, you know, not being, you know, in season doing football team stuff because yeah of all of the protocols and things, hey, you know, you can make a case there that they're, they might be safer from COVID, <laughs> you know, in the, in the well, bubble, but, but we're point, not I doing think, a true bubble. And so, yeah. you know, I think it depends on where they live, as you said, but I, I think they can, de- I Justin think Fields going back to Georgia was probably not a great idea, you know? Yeah. And I think the case can definitely be made that they're safer with a football team than with the general student pop- populace right now. <laughs> yeah, because, no doubt. Because of what you're seeing on campus right now. Uh, this next one says, quote, other sports, uh, not baseball, have found ways to safely play sports with zero positive tests. Why can't football figure it out, too? I love that they included the parenthetical, not baseball. Not baseball. Right. Uh, it's because it's because they didn't want to make a bubble. They didn't decide that they yep. wanted to take those steps to try to force that to happen. And that's look, I don't think it can't happen. I just don't think that college football has done what is necessary to make it happen. And as we've seen, the Big Ten doesn't exactly have a great beat on planning right now. So is it possible to test all these athletes and to make sure they know? I think it's possible. I think they have the the means to do it. I think they have the capability to do it. Uh, 
do, do I trust the universities and the Big Ten to have a plan to make sure that happens? No, I don't, because I haven't seen anything to indicate that I would I should have confidence in that direction. So I, yeah, that's not one I'm I'm all about. One of um, the things that is really going to be interesting is to see what we do with college basketball because oh man, yeah, Mark Gimmert said, um, you know, I think it was late last week that um, doing a bubble for college basketball for the NCAA championships would be, quote, perfectly viable in many sports. Um, and I think it was Dan Gabbett, who is NCAA's grand high poobah of basketball, has been looking through what a bubble would look like for basketball. Now, again, I'm going to put my cynical bastard head back on here and say, you know um, who operates March Madness? The NCAA. Right. And so it's interesting that now That's in August we're th- thinking through how do we save this billion-dollar thing do you know what the NCAA does not operate? The college football playoffs and ergo right. why you've had next to nothing from the NCAA in the form of leadership right. on how to make something work. So I think you could see bubbles happen in, in other sports potentially, but the reason we didn't do a bubble is because we don't want to acknowledge that you know these quote-unquote student athletes, to, to quote um, Eric Cartman, um, <laughs> are not just your average run-of-the-mill college students and we can't have it both ways uh quote your cowardice timidity and hypocrisy will never be forgotten let them play or history will revile you (laughs) um i just appreciate that this dude brought out the thesaurus for that preach out reverend preach on yeah uh next one here Quote, students are allowed on campus to achieve goals geared toward future careers. Athletes deserve the same opportunity. I think that's an interesting argument. I think that is an incredibly interesting argument. What What is the purpose of going to college? Well, most people, I think, would say, I mean, yes, it's for academic achievement and advancing your education and learning all that stuff. But a lot of people would say it's so I can get a job, so I can get a better paying job, so I can retire and do all that stuff. Uh, athletes, <laughs> now, again, this requires them to acknowledge that that's why they're at the university and they're not a fabled you know, student athlete who, well, okay, I know I'm the starting quarterback, but really I consider myself a, you know, a kinesiology major first. Uh, (laughs) Like it would require kind of dismissing with that fiction, but I think that's a, I think that's a valid point. And I also think it's one that athletes would make themselves as well. Um, Especially the the really good ones. Back to the, this could take us back to the university, um, finance bubble that we talked about earlier that you know Mm -hmm. the very economic structure of college because part of the reason this is my personal bias talking here not not based on data or research just my my personal read of the situation part of the reason that the universities are so bloody big now is because we have a bajillion majors that are super tailored to job related outcomes that that you go to college now uh, not to become a more well-rounded individual or um, what it, what's, I got to remember what our, our motto is at Ohio state. It's um, well, it's something it's like education for citizenship. That's that's, that's it. it. Yeah. 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 Right. 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 That's I, I was trying to remember the Latin so that I could piece it together. I just saw it the <laughs> other day. Like, so that's our, that's what we say. It's education for citizenship. That's yeah. not what 98% of the people who go to Ohio state go there for. Right. It's what you said to get a job. Uh, and, and I think that's part of our problem because we continue to create infrastructure with the idea in mind being that your end goal is a job, as opposed to you go back X number of hundred years ago when it was the the ideal of the liberal arts education, that you were going 
to to learn, you know, to study letters and to learn, uh, you know, kind of the the great secrets of the universe and how to uh, how to think <laughs> about things and you know what. Learn about the, the the seven humors of the human body and yeah, something like that. And, so and learn how so, to write in Latin. So I think you know that's a struggle, right? Because what what is the purpose of going to get a four year degree? And you're starting to see some more pushback in general that okay, not every student you're a high school teacher, not every student you have needs to or should go to a four-year degree. However, comma, the four-year degree has traditionally been the most reliable indicator of future job prospects and financial success. And so yeah. this is all, I mean, it's all a real big challenge. And I, I think this situation will uh, maybe spring open some of the cracks that have been forming in the system, both related to athletics and the university system in, in general uh, over the next couple of years. Interesting yep. times. Interesting times. Last two comments here. Quote, all caps, football, we need it, which I can't disagree with that. Brother, and, we need it. We need it. Uh, and then the last one is, quote, nothing gets me going quite like Nebraska versus Wisconsin, running it in I formation for three yards of carry 70 times a game. <laughs> which is true. Which is true and real. And they're right. And that's probably the most convincing argument I've seen for college football, specifically Big Ten football in 2020. We just we need to see big, large dudes just slamming into each other uh, and rushing for three yards of carry and then having games end in a six to three, uh, you know, slugfest. That's, I, that's I, kind of, I kind of feel like that comment should be exhibit A as to why Kirk Ferentz should finally hang up his cleats. It's not <laughs> it's not the rampant racism in his program. It's right. not the ham-fisted attempt to control players' uh, social media accounts. It's the fact that in that diatribe, Iowa was left out That's right. in favor of Nebraska and Wisconsin. Yeah, he's, like, mean, he's I, new Kirk now. He's like throwing yeah. it on third down. This is bullcrap. He should be punting when he's, you know, when he's throwing and it's it's BS. He's not He's not part. Of, he's not in the club anymore. He's kicked out. Screw that guy. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I agree. Uh, although Scott, Fro I mean Scott Frost tries. To, you know, maybe it's just maybe that's why he hasn't had success. He's straying too far from his roots. All I right, feel so bad for that guy, right? Because he's not going to play a season now. And uh, you know, I don't know if this uh, don't know if this extends his time on the potential hot seat or not. You know, that's an interesting thing that comes out of this. As a yeah. side note, you know, so let's let's pretend that we're not going to have any college football this fall because I still think that's the most likely outcome. You know, there's got to be a number of coaches who are either a breathing a sigh of relief because they now automatically get another year, uh, you know, before they get broomed because you know they can't play can't play a football season this year. So if you weren't going to fire me last year, why are you going to do it now? Or right. on the flip side, guys who really were on the bubble, you know, does this does this hasten their uh, the school. Hey, we gotta we've gotta make a move now because, you know, we we had didn't have this extra year, and you're not going to get us over the hump, so we're just going to cut our losses, and yeah. or and or now that you've taken a you know hundred million dollar hit uh, at your average FBS program, let's say for example, does that mean you have to hang on to your underperforming coach because you can't afford his buyout anymore? Well, and then you've got Michigan with Harbaugh. His contract expires here pretty soon. I'm I'm curious to see what they decide to do with that, especially if you don't have any, you know, recent data to kind of figure out if you want to extend the guy or not. Uh, so anyway, that that's kind of the discussion that we've been getting into. Obviously, we'll talk more about it, and as situations change, 
uh, you know, we'll we'll discuss those change situations. But it's it's definitely something that's super in flux, and I'm curious to see how it's all going to play out. As a reminder, if you want to support Eleven Warriors and the Dubcast in these trying times, uh, please visit the dry goods store at elevenwarriors.com, drygoods.elevenwarriors.com, shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Definitely check it out. Let's do some Ask Us Anything. Yay! Ask Us Anything. Ask Us Anything uh, can be asked and of anything to dubcast at 11warriors.com, D-U-B-C-A-S-T at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Let's start off with Steve. Steve says, Johnny and Andy, I turn uh, 30 on... Okay, well, he he wrote, I term September on a Saturday and was going to get uh, a heavy dose of football. I'm not really sure what that means, but basically what he's saying is that he's going to turn 30 here soon. Uh, And I guess his birthday was going to be on a football Saturday. So he he wants to know, how would we map out our 30th birthday uh, without football while quarantined? And I will tell you, so Andy, I don't know when your birthday is. My birthday is February 9th. So there's no football on my birthday. And what I got myself for, there is sometimes basketball. I will say that, which is nice. Uh, but what I got myself for my 30th birthday was an existential crisis about my own mortality. So that's what I recommend to you, Steve. Nice. Uh, <laughs> just consider the fact that we're all going to die someday. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, that's tough to follow, Johnny Lee. Uh, I would say, you know, I was born four days after Christmas. And so while my parents did an admirable job of making my birthday distinct and separate from Christmas growing up, the older I get, the more my birthday is just another day in between Christmas and New Year's. Mm-hmm. Um, you're already kind of off work because nobody in my business really works between the those two dates. Uh, um, and, you know, there's just not a lot going on. You're kicking it with the little tyke. So generally... I try to find the largest hunk of cow flesh I can find and consume it with uh, an, an admirable distilled spirit or vintage or uh, foamy pop, which is redneck for beer, um, depending <laughs> on what your your preference is. By the there. way, real quick, if you know anybody, this is just for people listening. If you know anybody who refers to beers as pops, they know how to drink. All right. I'm just telling you right now, anybody who, refer, who refers to beers as pops, you got to get me a couple pops in me. They, they know what they're doing, all right? They know how to do this. So if, if you're like, uh, I don't know if I want to hang with this dude, I'm telling you, that person knows how to drink. That's all I'm I had to, I had to laugh. We were we were planning. Um, we first moved into the new house, and we're getting to know our neighbors, and we were planning a little backyard cookout. And uh, I, I texted the neighbor and asked him if he wanted some, some foamy pops. And um, he's like, I have to ask, what is that? And I was like, oh, sorry, that's my that's my <laughs> that's redneck southern Ohio coming out for me. Would you like right. some beer, good sir? <laughs> yes, yes, I would. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, my advice, um, you know, go go to Jeff Ruby's, go to your favorite Cameron Mitchell establishments or, you know, go find a big old hunk of uh, certified Angus beef and plop that baby on the grill and have a good time. Uh, you yeah, know, it's, I, I it's all about that. the meats. Agree with that. Uh, this next one here is from Bill. Bill says similar to NES hockey and choosing the types of players that made up your team, which, by the way, I best part about I mean, NES hockey, great game. But that was one of my all-time favorite parts about that, where you can just kind of like customize your own team. And it really is a shame that any recent, um, you know, games don't really allow for that kind of customization. Anyway, uh, who would have a better chance of winning a basketball tournament in a similar 
uh, style, right? And I assume this is in real life. So a team made up of all centers or a team made up of all <laughs> point guards? Wow. There's <laughs> wow. a fantastic question. Wow. Um, That's amazing. So I love doing that on the old NES and SNES games where you can just pick whoever's on your team. Yeah. And I remember playing the ice hockey game and I always picked the fastest dudes possible because there was like – you know, I would play against my friends and they they would try to, okay, I want the big guy. So when they fight and knock them out, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm using my big brain mode here. Pick the smallest, fastest guys. They run circles around everybody. I say point guards, 100%. A team of Muggsy Bogues would defeat a team of George Mirasons. How about that? That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just play with all shacks? That's, I'll just, I'll just take five shacks and see what happens. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, five that'd shacks be, would be pretty sweet, though. That'd, I actually, that'd be a team I mean, right there, there. there is a slight difference between George Mirasan and Shaq. <laughs> slight difference in athletic potential. I agree. Uh, um, give me, give me Kareem and Sh- no, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's wild time. You're right, though. Like those games, that we grew up in the sweet spot of like v- classic video games. You know, it was before before it was all so realistic and you could still just like do goofy stuff like that. Oh yeah. Uh, well, cause like I've said, I've said this before, all of these freaking sports games now want to be too damn serious and they want to make it like an actual simulation. And first of all, if you've played these EA games, you know, they're not half of these plays are scripted to create a, you know, a dramatic moment in the game and keep things exciting. You see that in FIFA all the time. People lose their minds about it. Like, you know, you'll see a a goalie about to stop a, you know, a ball with his hands and his hands bend 500, like 90 degrees backwards. So the ball goes (laughs) in the net. I I played FIFA a little bit and I just, I couldn't, I was like, I'm done with this stupid game. Um, So I, I, I actually, when I was younger, I really enjoyed like the Mario sports games. I, I mentioned this before, like Mario tennis, Mario golf, because it's goofy. It's fun. Mario soccer. I enjoyed that stuff because it wasn't trying to be realistic. And yes. I think it needs to be way more sports games like that. Because yep. um, I don't, you know, I, I, I want to make a team of all minute bowls. Every time we have this discussion, I want to go to my dad's, find the old Super Nintendo and break out Super Punch-Out! Because that will forever in a day yeah. be my favorite, like, just stupid space out like you know yeah, release that game. is video games uh i get to that special circuit at the end i can't remember what they called the fight you know you had to un- you had to beat the first four or five circuits whatever it was to unlock the last one and right. the last four guys were just like nuts you know yeah you'll never i mean i i never beat mike tyson i don't even think i got to like the third to last dude um all right, so this last one's from Matt, and Matt kind of has a lengthy question, and he also wants to ask you, Andy, some questions about uh, L count. So I'm going to send, I'm going to forward this email to you. Um, but the main meat and potatoes of what he's asking is saying he's saying, speaking of leadership, Ryan Day has been absolutely amazing, which I agree with. I think he's done an incredible job, not just during this COVID stuff, but also throughout the summer, and just I, I really think he is an incredible leader for Ohio State. I absolutely agree with that. Um, and then he says, even reminding the reporter uh, that it's the team up north in an interview yesterday indicates to me that he's still focused on what matters to the team, even though he's being pulled in a million directions uh, right now. Uh, and that brings me to the question. The trifecta of Urban, Trestle, and Day seems unprecedented. 
Uh, has any other team in the history of college football ever put together a trio of excellent hires like this? It seems we can point to the incredible coaches, but not always the incredible successors or uh, really two incredible successors. I I don't know about in the history of college football. I'm sure there are instances where, you know, some universities have done well. I will also say that a lot of the schools that we remember, uh, or at least the coaches that remember, we remember because they were there for a really long time, right? And they were really, really successful. Alabama had some dire years in between mm-hmm. Bear Bryant and Nick Saban, right? <laughs> like people forget yeah. like Shula was coaching, like Dave Shula was coaching Alabama at one point. It was not going super hot. Um, and Ohio State, like even if you go back, I mean, what, Cooper? Like, come on. Like, did that was that a terrible hire? Did he not do very well? I know people complain about the Michigan record, which is completely justified, but he was overall a very good coach. Earl Bruce was not an incredible coach, but at least good. Um, and then of course you had Woody. So Ohio state, in my opinion, has, has been on a ridiculous run of hiring. And part of that is a testament to the administrations, you know, making the right call, but also a lot of it's just plain luck, especially given the way these coaches have left because it's, they've come in very nicely and, and have done some great things. And then it seems like that all kinds of, uh, all kind of ends in a poor way, uh, towards the end of their tenures. So, um, to be able to manage that kind of transition and find a dude who can really do the job is incredibly difficult. And like I said, also involves a large measure of luck. Um, Ohio State can be a team that only wins three or four games a year. I, I doubt that will happen anytime soon because I think the standard for excellence is so high, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. Um, you know, Alabama is one bad hire away from not looking that hot anymore. It, this stuff can go away. So I, yeah, I think and, it's, and, I, I, it, to me, it's, it's basically unprecedented and, you know, it frustrates me and other high state fans a little bit. I think that um, we haven't seen as many championships as we'd like, mm-hmm. uh, but the success overall is pretty, pretty damn un- unbelievable. I mean, it's a good reminder that one, that championships are hard to come by. Um, you know, that's because, because you can make the argument that, that urban Myers um, tenure was, kind of they were underperforming because there was only one national championship for all of the games that Ohio state won under his tenure, just one national championship. When you compare that to say Woody as an example, different, te- different times, different, different competitive right. landscape and, and so on. Uh, but yeah, that string of coaches from Woody forward. And especially when you think about, there was a time where Ohio state was considered the graveyard of coaches, right? You came here and, and man, that's, you know, Woody flipped that on its head and, uh, and it's been a pretty good run ever since. Even even Earl Bruce, um, you know, John Cooper, as you mentioned. So you look at other programs. Typically, you say you want to be the guy after the successor to the legend, right? So you right. you didn't want to be Woody's <laughs> right. successor. You wanted to be the guy after Earl or, or whoever it is. You don't want to be the guy that follows Nick Saban. You want to be the next guy. So it's but you but you could find you know Kentucky's done pretty well with basketball coaches. I think uh, you know they the have. number of you know, that's a good Kansas basketball. Um, you know, you look, they've had a pretty good run. Um, uh, but there's a lot of longevity with, with some of those guys too. So that's, um, do you look at, uh, look at North Carolina or Duke? I mean, when you think of the, the basketball, um, 
Blue Bloods, I guess you can't really say it's a string of coaches with Duke. It's, it's pretty much uh, yeah, it's um, just Krzyzewski. It's just pretty, pretty much Coach K. K. But 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 um, I was thinking about North Carolina, you know, with uh, uh, Dean and and Roy Williams, and you know they. Right. So you can, but if then you compare that to uh, Indiana, was one you would have said as a blue blood, and man, they had some just terrible, uh, you know, hires in there right after after Coach Knight and and. Um, that team up north, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. there's, a, there's another one. No, They've been great. wandering around in the wilderness, and wandering the around is, in the wilderness for 10, 15 years now. No, that's that's a great example. And the thing is, is it's not just um, it's not like a dramatic decline in competency. Sometimes it is like with Michigan, where it, it's just kind of the slow, like okay, well then we had a bad hire, and then we got a hire that was okay, and now we have another hire that's okay. Like you know, Michigan was the the team under you know Bo they didn't win a championship under Bo um but they had a pretty I mean they had a pretty good sustained era of success and then it just kind of slowly went down as did their influence as did you know I think their perception among people nationally so I you know it's an interesting thing with Ohio State uh, you know as fans were extremely extremely lucky but I also think that means that we should always acknowledge that, you know, things could turn south. And now with that said, with Ryan Day, don't see that happening anytime soon. Absolutely. He, as, as the, as the uh, uh, person who sent this question uh, said, uh, he's the real deal. This guy really, really gets it. He's innovative. He's an excellent leader. The only way that I really see him, you know, going south in the next couple of years is if, you know, he decides to actually leave the university for the NFL or something like that. I don't, I don't see him having a decline in actual on the field product. Which so, I mean, I think is a real conversation that we will probably need to have on this uh, podcast at some point. Yeah, but not in now the not, because in, he's, in the I not too distant future. A little bit. Yeah. I think he's locked in for a little bit. I think that dude for right now, what he means to the players, you know, especially guiding him through this to me, he's basically made all the right moves and I'm, I'm a huge Ryan Day fan right now. Yeah. And if he sticks, look, if he sticks around for 10 years and maybe wins a championship, I put him right up there with the likes of Trestle and, and urban Absolutely. Uh, in terms of success. Cause I think he's capable of that. Um, and maybe even surpassing him because look, and this, like you said, this is a conversation for another day, but my big thing about uh, Ryan day that sets him apart from a guy like urban or trestle is that he doesn't seem to be super wedded to a system right or a or a type of you know coaching or stuff he he just wants to win and that's what i've been looking for in a high state coach for a really 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 long time uh, i think cooper had a little bit of that where it's like okay the players will dictate what we do um I think Ryan Day's got that 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 waggle to him, and I'm I'm excited to see that because I think that helps your longevity. I mean, there's uh, a part of me that wonders how much of that is is a function of youth. So, you sure, know, Day, yeah. I mean, Day is a good bit years. younger than you know, so if, uh, than Trestle or Urban. Does is, is there a, is that a component of the? I, I just am not sure. You need more data points maybe to to yeah. draw on because it may just be him that he really is that flexible adaptable i mean you you watched urban meyer at times that was like he was going to do it this one way and that was it and and if right. and if you know it wasn't going to work i mean you know we're sitting there screaming give hide the damn ball uh, i yeah. mean here we are how many years later and i still you know wake up <laughs> give hide the damn ball but urban was going to do it that one way and of course we talk about trestle ball the other thing that'll be interesting to see 
because this is true of Trestle and Urban both, it's it's what happens four years in when you've had a reasonable amount of staff turnover. That's typically when you yeah. start to see like how good is is your system and how right. flexible, adaptable are you really? It's your first hires, you know, are usually pretty good. Uh, and then when those assistants go on somewhere else, yeah, great point. Do you do you hand the keys to your offense to Jim Bowman or? <laughs> <laughs> you hire Nick Siciliano and he's going to go quarterback. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating. And it's unfortunate that this season we may not get those data points um, because I, you know, as I said earlier, I do think this is a potential that'd be a really, really fantastic team. Yep. And you can definitely see how those guys are hurting, not being able to show, the, you know, show America that. Um, so hopefully, I mean, look again, am I, do I think we're going to have college football in the fall? No, but, do I think it's possible to have a spring season? Do I think it's possible to get some of that going? Yeah, we just have to get to that point. And I hope I hope that the Big Ten starts taking some cues from the Pac-12 and say, let's make some plans. Let's get this written down. You know, you've got you know Jeff Brown at Purdue saying, all right, this is what I got, right? He didn't waste any time. And, and good on that dude for showing some leadership and putting that out there and saying, this is the discussion we got to have now if we want to yeah. make sure that this happens. Um and, you know, Ryan Day is saying much of the same thing. So, look, is it possible? Yes. But we got to get there. And, and I, 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 think want, that's, like, I think that's worthy. You mentioned Brahman. I'm glad you did. Yeah. Because, you know, you said something earlier, talking about, you know, the, the fact that it just felt like there was no plan uh, here. You know, the Big Ten was just kind of like, oh, well, we're not doing it. And, you know, no, nothing. I talked to Tom Ryan, head coach of the wrestling team, um, last last week, to just see, okay, you know how how are things going? Um, what what are plans? You know, and mm-hmm. right now, so the National Wrestling Coaches Association released it, a letter from its leadership team, basically calling for because wrestling, like basketball, kind of splits two semesters, right? So right. you you start practice and and games or meets in the case of wrestling. Uh, in fall semester and then your championship is in the spring semester so or in the winter semester so you know technically they're winter sports um, but they start during fall semester so nwca um, released a letter saying hey we should just start all uh, competition for wrestling in january so push push the start back and we'll rest basically wrestle between january and march Mm -hmm. Um, you know talk to tom ryan he said you know we've been talking about this since March when the NCAA tournament was canceled this year. And he said, we all kind of just have already, you know, um, discussed and understood it's going to be a conference only schedule that we wrestle between January and March. And then maybe next year we'll have more of a normal wrestling season. So, so if, you know, wrestling coaches, programs, teams, et cetera, have been having this discussion uh, for six months already and their season is still, you know, two, three months away. Yeah. Why in the seven hells did football wait and do nothing <laughs> apparently until now? So yeah, kudos to Jeff Brom. And I just wish that he wasn't the only one apparently out there. Um, <laughs> you know, Ryan day obviously had given some thought to, cause he went on the air yeah. you know, right afterward. At, and he's at, like, let's at, make right, it happen. Let's go. January. And, and gave his, it. you know, proposal for, um, you know, how to do spring ball. Of course I laugh. We keep calling it spring ball. It's going to be winter ball. It's not sure. spring Which, ball. It's... By the way, I I think that would be dope as hell. I would yeah. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Um, 
I, you know, it's just got, we got to make sure it happens. It has to, you can't, you can't magically wish something into existence. You have to work to make it happen. Um, and I think football players and coaches and, and admin and all that are, are willing to do that, but you've got to get to the point as a society to make sure that that's capable of happening. And you've got to have a plan to, to work towards. And if you have those two things, it's possible, but in the absence of that, it's not. So, I just I want to see more leadership. I, we re, we will revisit this obviously as we go through each week, but um, it's it's kind of a common theme, and and hopefully it does improve uh, at the very top levels of the Big Ten because right now we're not seeing it. So hopefully next week we'll come back, we'll be able to say, okay, the Big Ten's got a plan. We've got some things figured out. Things are looking a little bit rosier, um, and and then we can discuss that. But until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy, and we'll see you next time.